Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. I love this episode with Carrie Wilde. Carrie is uh, the founder of the Embodied Soul Style Method, and she supports women and men to find their unique soul style by embracing their authentic beauty. And she talks about how this work is an outer expression of our inner worlds. And I just love her work. And in this conversation, we talk about lots of things, including the impact of the beauty myth on women's self-expression, what embodied soul style is, and the healing and empowerment that happens from embracing your soul style. Lots of practical stuff, just things, just beautiful things, how to dress as a ritual, how to edit your wardrobe, how to get more life out of the clothes that you have. And also after over 20 years of working in the fast fashion industry, um, Kerry's a real advocate of slow and sustainable fashion. And she shares her ideas on how you can buy more consciously. So I really hope you get some wonderful gems from this conversation and enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to today's episode. And I'm really excited to be joined today by Kerry Wilde. Kerry's founder of the Embodied Soul Style Method. Welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's such an honor to sit with you and chat and have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, a pleasure, pleasure for me too as well. So I'd love to, to start by introducing who you are and what you do and your work. Mm, so, I mean, what I, who I am, I'm Kerry Wilde. <laughs> I had a career in fashion over 20 years. So I started on the career ladder with the fashion industry back in 99 and soon had a burnout from that when I had children. Um, but I, so I studied fashion, was like a real creative in fashion for many, many years. But then alongside that also had holistic practitioner trainings. So they started when I was 24, went to India, started training and alongside this kind of heavy duty corporate career in fashion. I also used to hold Reiki sessions and went on to be a master in Reiki when I was 30. So that kind of holistic practitioner stuff started quite early on, I guess, in my twenties and then carried on through, but I was kind of two feet in both worlds, if you like. So I was like in my serious fashion world over here, (laughs) climbing that ladder. And then I was over here kind of practicing and being what my friends called the hippie over there. So, you know, it got to kind of my, I guess, just before I hit my 40s, I was like, I can't actually hold these polarities at, at length anymore. It was almost like holding two parts of myself at bay. Like you go over there and the money and you go over there and, you know, teach this, these groups. And the, my work soul style, embodied soul style method is really bringing together all of my experience into, into one and into the, the sense of wholeness. Um, and, you know, this work has been developed a, probably over four years. So 2018, I started to teach my uh, yoga groups on adornment and finding a spiritual connection to their clothing. Um, Having been in the fast fashion world, I really saw the extremes of the devastation. And that really inspired and triggered me to, to leave that industry, but also to learn about sustainable fashion, ethics, and how you know a better way of of buying and consuming clothing so you know this work was was really been a development of my experience and um what i really teach women now and and practice in my coaching um 
you know, kind of packages is taking women on an embodiment journey to really connect to their inner and their outer style and allow that to shine into the world. Um, and, you know, within that, there's so many realms of, you know, body image healing and, um, you know, feeling that sense of resilience and safety in the nervous system when we're thinking about self-expression and how we hold ourselves in the world. So there is a lot, a lot of outer embodiment, which I really felt was missing from mm. my spiritual journey and from my embodiment journey. I felt that this missing piece was like how fashion and clothing related to my inner. So, so that's just a, a kind of brief <laughs> introduction of how I came to be in this world of soul style. And yeah, this is my work. Yeah, thank you. Wow, there's so much to dive into here. <laughs> um, and I love that, that, um, that phrase soul style, because it just feels like it encapsulates what you do. And I just taking it into the bigger picture because you talk about the sort of almost like the barriers to self-expression and there's that the, the, the beauty myth and so I mean I, I, I guess most people will be familiar with the beauty myth but if there's anyone that isn't would you speak about what that is and how you see that that's inhibited women's self-expression? Mm. Well the beauty myth is something that obviously many women have been unconsciously, unconsciously indoctrinated into from a very early age we're almost groomed into the sense of what feel what is um, correct in the sense of a dress code, what mm. is going to um, maybe bring more attention to us, what's going to be pleasing to the eye for our parents, for, our, for people that are in authority. So we, we get a sense of this, what is um, beauty and, and what is uh, the overculture really, you know, brainwashing us to believe beauty is. And, you know, I found the magazine culture for me was so strong in terms of what the aesthetically pleasing thing was, do's and don'ts. I mean, we, that was very heavy duty in the 80s when I was growing up. And, um, you know, we can see it now on TikTok and we can see, you know, I've got teenage, I've got teenage son and it's very much what is the download, what's hot and what's not. It's kind of, there's so many subculture groups that are still there and still operating. So the beauty myth, I mean, Naomi Wolf wrote an amazing book called The Beauty Myth. And, you know, if anybody hasn't read it, then please do, please read it. And one of the quotes in that book was, um, the beauty myth does not, um, does not uh, tell you what to wear necessarily, but it's more about prescribing behavior. So, you know, that prescribing of behavior for many of the, us women or young girls was about what was safe, what was risky, would we want to take that risk, you know, how we related to our own sexuality and how we wanted to reveal that, especially coming into the teen years. And so dress and self-expression really do go hand, hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And we can see even today you know in the conservative party we saw that thing that came up in april where um one of the cabinet ministers was wearing a, a shorter skirt that wasn't knee level you know what 15 denier tights and there was this whole big thing that blew up on on the front page of the tabloid wow. to say she's a sexual predator you know basic instinct so we can and you know we can see how it hasn't disappeared. It's still alive today in our culture. It's still feeding through to the next generation. I think the, the main inhibitors are that we may not show up to things. If we, what I find with many clients and I found with on my own journey is that if I had a bad comment, for instance, or somebody, you know, the gaze, you know, was really toxic in the sense that it demonized what I was wearing on any level, you know, oh, that's not good. Even if it was a peer, even if it was a friend, are you really going out like that? Boyfriends, you know, the, the this kind of toxic voice that, that weaves its way through the narrative of people around us. And it then closes us down into that sense of, of either collapse or freeze where we actually don't, want to go out of that box again we actually put that away for ourselves you know many times clients say well I can't do that I can't wear that that's not mm. for me 
And, you know, the sadness of that creativity being squeezed and squashed into that beauty myth that is just a lie. You know, somebody's made that up to actually control and contract women, but for men as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of us. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, I suspect everybody listening could share many examples throughout their lives of these things. You know, as you're talking, I've got little memories popping into my awareness around these things and mm. how that shuts down your sense of creativity. So what else do you see with the clients that you work with as places where they sort of limit their expression or access or sort of how, yeah, limit their expression? Well, it's really interesting because, I mean, I, I then, I didn't explain at the beginning, but I went on to do lots of womb healing and feminine mm -hmm. embodiment and, you know, trainings that were all about, you know, Shakti and yoga and really coming home to the body because I lived mm -hmm. primarily in my mind and I did a lot of transcendental practice. So it was always up and out for me. And it wasn't until my thirties after having my second, second child that I really felt like, wow, I have to be in my body. I have to really bring that down and in-ness to me. I, I want to feel of the earth. Mm -hmm. um, what I find with the feminine principle and how that relates to our creativity is that many women are still operating on that level of, of the mind and creativity I feel is like a well in the body it's actually when we're in the body it's a flow state and so you know many times with clients it's about how do we connect and feel what's happening within when women you know come home to that sense of what's feeling alive for them what's feeling like it wants to be birthed, like it wants to come through, is it could be like, yes, I wanna wear that particular dress. Yes, I wanna explore this. It's almost like a playful um, exuberance can start to come through. And I find that when that is opening and they start to say, wow, I can have this and I can try this and I can start this, other things come online. So I have clients that suddenly start singing Mm -hmm. I have clients that are like, I'm a dancer and, and, you know, this is who I am. And so these dreams or missed opportunities where their creativity got put in a box somewhere for a rainy day almost also comes on board. So it's not just about clothing, but it's really about this eruption of, wow, this is who I really am. And so that's the beauty of this work is almost like an explosion, if you like, of like the soul can go, okay, that I can have all this thing, you know, <laughs> I can enjoy life. Um, and that's what I love to, to see is that the self-expression is related to what we wear, but it's also related to where we feel like we've sat on that spectrum of life and, and almost we've been conditioned away from creativity so much in our life that we have to be sensible, play it safe, do the right thing. And, you know, I can definitely say that for myself, um, but it's not until we can liberate from some of those, um, yeah, some of those codes that we can then start to really grasp what are the, what's the unique code that wants to come through me? Mm. Yeah, you talk about the style frequency I noticed on your website. I love that expression. Yeah. <laughs> and you radiate that. I mean, if anyone doesn't know of your work, check your Instagram feed out. <laughs> and just that, that playful exuberance is just everywhere on your page and your joy and your clothes, but how, you're, how, you, how you totally radiate through that. It's, it's a delight. <laughs> oh, thank you. And it's a big permission slip. So I'm really hearing that that that's a big part of your work is that permission slip to explore these parts. Yeah. And so you talk about embodiment and you mentioned the word feminine embodiment and feminine is a word that's used around a lot. So what does that mean in your work, feminine embodiment? Um, for me, it's really about this non-linear state, something that is about movement and motion and trying and testing and getting messy and getting our hands <laughs> in the mud and, you know, finding a way through um, what we have, you know, I guess what we have hit up against so far. You know, the, the feminine is about innovation. It's about playfulness. It's about juiciness. And 
it's not just about walking in straight lines it's about spiraling and and so I guess my my you know feeling around the feminine is that it's there's a there's so many facets to the feminine and we've only touched on like sometimes just touched on the tiny microcosm of of what we, what that could be and the potential is like vast it's like looking through a prism and then when when the light hits it, it just opening up to this multifaceted expression mm. and that is unique I feel for every woman and every man just started working with men so I have to include them in this conversation mm. um and so that opening you know is about really seeing and feeling what the different energies um exist how you know how those different energies play out within our natural unique expression and you know any doors that have been closed to block that expression so it's really it is a permission slip and it is about freedom and bringing more of that more of that on board and so when clients come they're like sometimes scared of these different aspects that want to come to the table and it's like well no let's welcome all of that here because for me it's about feminine integrate it's about integration it's about union it's about unifying who we are into into a state of uh, synthesis and wholeness mm. um, rather than repressing and keeping these beasts under the table like no slide there <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it's about welcoming all of that mm. why do you feel clients are scared of those parts what do you see um i feel um i feel that there is the heavy duty, good girl, good wife, good mm. daughter, the, these real staid and societal pressures of being seen as pretty pleasing good. And that is definitely, you know, something that we all have to work on. <laughs> um, and so it shows up for, for people in different ways, but they can be really subtle or they, or they can be like, this is who I am, but actually, you know, sometimes women are just finding themselves just wanting to present one side of who they are, because that feels like it, they're going to be able to receive the most love or affection. I mean, mm. love, really, that's what we're, we're all, you know, yearning for on a deep soul level. So um, I feel like presenting just one aspect of who they are feels very safe. And it feels like we're going to receive love or we're not going to be seen to rock the boat too much. Yeah. We might just disappear into the background and, you know, not really stand out. There's a lot of that hiding um, that goes with that as well. Um, and then, you know, the, the messy, the, the wild, the, the, the kind of dark and dirty... <laughs> Of the erotic you know all of those aspects that are us we we all have these muses I call them in my work but we all have this mute these muses that that run through us and and we can choose whether to run that those frequencies or or hold them down hold them back mm. and I think when we hold them back it you know they can pop out <laughs> in distorted ways <laughs> um so like the healthy wholeness of, of this is actually just to invite everything to to be here and, and coexist mm. and that that feels safe too and there's no pushing through the door this is very gentle work and we invite I invite whatever um the client is guiding to to, to bring through you know I'm not going to push anyone through through any doors <laughs> and you mentioned as you started working with men what's brought that but that shift around yeah this is a um a man that was recommended through his wife who she's been through my journey and she said and she you know she's always he's actually been married to her for 20 years and he said wow the, the, there's a significant difference so he's like, I want what she's had. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, you're my first man. And it's it's just beautiful work, working with a man. Um, and I feel like this is a, 
an extension of being in partnership. You know, I was single for very, for many years and I met my partner last year. And yeah, I feel like that is the ripple effect of actually coming into a, a physical union with, with my man. So, yeah. Mm, I bet that's really needed as well. So, yeah. yeah. So, and so, so you shared, you know, he saw in his partner this huge shift. Mm tell me what you see you talked about embracing creativity and these parts coming out of hiding so what else do you see flourishing in women's lives when they embrace their soul style yeah I see um I see the relationships actually shift and and you know some some people are single when they come to me but also this sense of opening to the gaze that is you know that is it could be, um, yeah, not just the gaze, but relationship with other. I think, you know, our relationships with the way we feel like we're seen by others is, it can either make us feel like we don't want to be visible or it can make us kind of act in different ways. I feel like when women can center in their inner and outer embodiment and hold themselves, in that state of soul style they can walk in the world in a state of it doesn't matter if somebody's looking at them it doesn't really matter it doesn't really touch on them if if people are commenting it's just it's more about this deep intimacy with self and it's more about them um, being able to hold being seen i think that's a massive part of what i see is that women are saying they can walk into rooms. They're actually, actually a, a story of one of my clients is that she hadn't been to the West End for years and we'd just completed our journey and she went into a theatre, um, this was a couple of weeks ago, and she walked in and she, she just holds herself in a different way. So one of the key changes was she always used to wear over the shoulder crossbody bags, always. That was her thing. So through the journey, we came to this beautiful groomed 1950s way of holding handbags and wearing the gloves. And so that was part of her adornment and um, kind of style code that came through. And that was just one piece. And so she always has a handbag now. But the way she holds her shoulders, she said, I walk in like I own the place <laughs> because my shoulders are free to, to like be held like a frame. And so she glided into this West End uh, theatre and she walked up to a rope like they were holding, there was like a gated rope area and she just kind of walked up and they just immediately opened the rope and said, oh, up you go, darling, like up, up you go. And she said, oh, okay. So she, she walked up to the stairs and she went up to the top and she was like, who are all these people and it was just a private party so you know she was like there were influences there and she was talking about style in the toilets with people she said that never would have happened mm. years before ever so it's just they, and and then she, and the rest of her friends couldn't get in they're all stood at the bottom <laughs> so she was kind of like i'm up here they were like no we can't, they won't let us in it was a private party so it's just to hear things like that, it's the ripple effect of how women are carrying themselves into the world. Um, and yeah, so that for me is just so a big part of that is, is just the ripple effect of the embodiment of it. And I think of it as, as an embodiment journey. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And actually, I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to ask you about with body image, because um, for those listening, I did a session with you earlier this year, like a it's like a mini deep dive, wasn't it? And yeah. um, and it was such it was just wonderful. And it's still rippling through into my life now. And I really, really um, got so much from it. And I you, you give people a questionnaire at the beginning. Um, and in the questionnaire, one of the questions is something like, you know, where do you rate your body image on a one to ten with eight, ten being brilliant? zero not not great mm. and I put an eight out of ten and you know and there's days when it's it's more but I would say an average an eight and what struck me was you shared that actually that was one of the highest scores mm. you'd had so yeah. I'd love to you to speak a little about 
what women present with because it's such a, a, a you know and I, I can say an eight out of ten because I've done a lot of work around my body image if you'd have asked me 20 years ago it would have been a zero yeah um, <laughs> and so I'd love to uh, you know you, you've touched on already but speak to, to, to body image and what women present with and again the difference that they experience through this work yeah yeah it really it was one of the highest scores and um yeah what I see women coming with is pure honesty because when it's asked in a questionnaire it's kind of like you can't necessarily hide from it in a way whereas if somebody asks you you know nonchalantly you might say higher when you've got to pause and think about it people are very honest on these questionnaires and I don't ask for to share it um, you know, it's entirely up to them if they want to bring that up in the session. I say, do you want to discuss this? And they can or they don't have to. But I, what I find is that many women and um, and I'll just give a bit of context for this this part of the work is that, you know, I come from a matrilineal line that has eating disorders embedded into it. And, you know, I actually I kind of missed I kind of missed it. But kind of rebelled against it and went the other way and did a bit of binge eating and in my teens and put on a lot of weight which was really going against the grain in my my particular match with your line and and that particular code so um i feel like i didn't quite miss it but i did in a, in that in a sense um and I was, you know, I had a lot of shame around my body. I was a black woman living in a white household. So, you know, I'm a mixed race woman. My uh, mum and dad split when I was very young. And, you know, my role models were white women. And so I had to do a lot of work on finding what my body meant, where my heritage came from, where my hips and my booty came from, <laughs> basically. Um, and really unshackling from some of that, um, the white supremacy piece, I think that was in, embedded in me just because of where I grew up mm. and what I was watching and, and the broadcast in the media and the magazine culture. And so, for me, this work has been, again, a 20 year journey of exploration and really finding home in my body. Um, I thought it was yoga, I thought I could transcend out of it, but no, <laughs> I thought I could like, you know, but actually being in this body for me was a tender space mm -hmm. and, you know, birthing children from the body was also a very tender space. So. I feel like this part of the 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 work is really deep healing for women. It's the de it's the depth of, of my work, really, because to actually see yourself in the mirror through clear, clean, um, a clean, clear lens is very difficult. Because in the subconscious mind, the imprints of the old are very much there. Um, and, and some women cannot look at themselves for more than three seconds in the mirror and they dress kind of in the dark and they have a quick look and then they're out the door. And so they're, you know, it, 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 you know, eight was the, the highest I'd ever received at that point. And I feel like the body image piece, we've, we're seeing a lot of body neutrality, body positivity in my bubble on Instagram that I see. Mm -hmm. However, out there, there's a lot of plastic surgery taking place with, with younger people, people feeling like they want a certain body aesthetic and, you know, preening themselves into a shape that is sculpted to be that, sh that particular um, shape that is popular at the moment. And that's scary. And I feel like this work has to filter through to more women that we can release these codes of dependency on the optimal beauty standard, which really doesn't exist. Um, so I, I really go, I tried to look on Facebook actually before we had this conversation just to fire myself up a little bit because, <laughs> <laughs> because I was, I was um, receiving all these news I think they've changed the algorithm. I started to receive all these news things from 
Glamour magazine and different magazines to say, oh, look what she's wearing, look what she's wearing, look what she's... and they're still doing it. Oh, look at her cellulite, look at the thing. And we are still being forced to demonize women's bodies. We're forced to see them as not right and needing to be fixed. And it's just a load of bullshit and we need to step away and we need to really feed this to our next generation. This is not the case, normalize our bodies. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, re there's deep work to be done there. And I feel like it can't be done in one session really. You know, it, there's, a, there's a journey to this and it could be a lifelong journey for some of us. Yeah, it can certainly take a few years yeah. for sure. <laughs> but that's how deep it all is, isn't it? The toxicity that we grow up with, that we see around us all day, every day. Um, and so it's uh, there's, there's work on so many layers, isn't it? I love there's a mystic called Thomas Merton, and he says to bring you back to your original beauty, to see your original beauty. And that's to yeah. see it unfiltered. And I always love that phrase because it sums it up so beautifully. <laughs> yeah um so yeah so so thank you for sharing and there's so there's there's so many you know feels like for, for women who go on a journey with you there's just so many layers to this work <laughs> so for people listening i'd love you to give them a sense of like what a journey with you would look like mm. so the journey for me is about it's an embodiment journey so i really take you through my map of transformation which starts as one state or you know state of style or shape and you're really coming to me in that sort of whole shape of what it looks like now which is kind of the questionnaire like being really honest with the now um, and that's that kind of section of, of it is really called naked so it is really about stepping into releasing um, all of these um, beliefs around what you wear um, and, you know, the practical side of this is like, what are you wearing in your collection? Because what we tend, what the statistic is, is that we only wear 20% of our overall collection in the UK, 80% of it is just sat there in, in the wardrobe. And so what I want to do is really figure out why, why those pieces are there. I call them old ghosts in my work because they're kind of like the haunting pieces, if you like, that are kind of from the past. <laughs> where me, where me, you know? <laughs> and, they, and it's really, I want to get women to have a wardrobe that is working for them. So that whole wardrobe is like a circular collection that they can keep interchanging with different outfits mm. and they're actually wearing their wardrobe. So on a... I guess, sustainable or conscious shopping element. That's also hand in hand with the beginning of the journey. Um, I then take you through practices that are creative practices to sort of get, get you um, collecting your uh, desires, your aesthetics that have traveled with you through your life. So really bringing you together as like a whole symbol. Um, and that's called style codes. Um, but we might be on the first bit for quite some time of the journey. And I call that like the inner, the inner part of the journey. And then we step into the outer. So uh, the framework is like a spiral and we start um, to descend and then we, we, then we ascend towards the mm. end. And that's when everything starts to come together. And really it has to be tailored for that particular client. And I have a framework and it's how that client is acting within that framework. Um, like I said earlier, I'm not gonna push them around to, you know, you've got to do this bit now and this bit now. <laughs> For me, it's like, what does this woman need to really bring her into her soul style? So yeah, it, that's what it looks like on a, on a very surface level. And um, yeah, and it's really about me guiding guiding the frame, guiding you through these different methods to um, create resilience, to create self-expression, to create a sense of empowerment, to create depth and intimacy with yourself. Um, that is really an important piece. Um, devotional practice, um, 
because it's all a practice, right? <laughs> we can't do this without a, without having a practice and whatever that looks like. Dressing is a ritual. Dressing is a practice. So however you're dressing each day really mirrors how you feel about yourself. If you're rushing to get ready each day and you're bypassing a lot of the feel, the felt sense in the body, then what's the result of that? How is that then showing up in your life the dressing piece is really really key and that is definitely something we look at at the beginning and then towards the end it's about how do we create ritual and well-being around mm. dressing how can we create more space and slow down to feel what's happening in those moments because as we if we bypass like we know if we bypass looking at ourselves or even taking it in further down that day we might receive feedback in some way there might be some wolf, wolf whistling on the street how are you going to react to that if you've done the work to set the tone and set the frequency of what you're wearing and, and owning that you might re respond in another way to, to the outer mm. so this is also really bringing women into that sense of um safety in themselves safety in what they're wearing but also um being able to cope with what what may happen in the outside world and in the creative piece you know this is about how can we edge you out to something that feels more vibrant for you that feels more alive and awakening for you in your life because many times we opt for the safe and we stay in a box that feels like you know we're playing a bit of a, a mask or a role and so the masks are something that we want to identify as well in the collection we want to really start to strip the masks out <laughs> mm. so we can leave space for something that's true to to really grow in the collection mm, beautiful i remember when you said about the old ghosts and i love that because i'd always looked at my wardrobe in terms of you know, does that bring me joy or not? Do I like that or not? But when you said, you know, what represents an old part of your identity, these old ghosts, that landed. And I, I remember like the next day, I think I put two carrier bags full of clothes <laughs> because it just landed in a whole different way. Mm. And, you know, what that does when you look at those old ghosts every time you open the wardrobe every morning. <laughs> and um, I really love what you shared of, 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 of dressing itself being a ritual and a practice mm. and that's something really beautiful people can take away with to consider and play with yeah um, because we're you know it's beautiful there's more and more ritual being created in life through people embracing practices of different ways mm. and um i guess i'd never thought of it in that way before even though i can feel it sometimes you know you know when i know when i feel like i've spent time getting ready and i feel it doesn't have to be a long time, but I know when I feel it, when I feel like, oh, I feel great today. Yeah. And so that idea of dressing as a ritual. So is there anything else that you'd love to share as just like little tips if people are listening that are curious to start to track or embrace their soul style? And of course, they can reach out to you. Um, but if there, is there any other couple of tips you could share? Yeah, I mean, you know, editing is really a big piece. Energetically clearing the old energy is, mm. I don't know, it just makes your wardrobe feel different and it just adds that spaciousness and clarity to what you own and what you actually wear. So I would say, like, start with clearing out some of these old ghosts that you know either don't fit, they're never going to fit. <laughs> this is like the honesty piece, you know, don't fit. They're actually, maybe you're holding on to old memories. Um, I'm looking at my rail of clothes, I'm talking through this. I've got a rail over here that, I, that I'm selling actually. But yeah, they're going. Um, <laughs> but this, this work never, never ends in a sense. Like there is an involvement to you. So I've just gone through another wave this year of, oh, something deep needs to clear. And again, some of the clothing with that needs to clear out as well. So um as we touch on other layers and we go deep within we might find that we've evolved to another another state and therefore these the second skin is so relevant to that so to that state and so clearing those things just allows 
you to gain access to what is needed to fulfill this next next level or this I don't really want to call it in levels but it's like this next embodiment of who you are um so that would be one tip is to spend time editing and it's one of those things that we put off and put off you might have like done it over lockdown actually because I think <laughs> you did do a lot of that work um but just I would say do it from the body and not from the mind really tune into the body whether you practice yoga or have a dance in your bedroom really feel what's resonant rather than it coming from does it look good does it not look good this work is beyond image it's about what's resonant and what feels good so I would say that's the little add-on to that tip um the other thing to do um what would I say to start with I mean I touched on it before but any non-linear practice that just creates this well of creativity within you is vital and it's a massive piece of this work it's about how do we how can we move in a non-linear way that is going out of the parameters just slightly it might be just you know drawing some circles with your hips before you get dressed and feeling into what what wants to you know be clothed on you like what you want to adorn in it might be closing your eyes and sort of like a tarot card being guided to what to wear through your fingertips it's having this deeper relationship with your clothing um that is beyond just it's for function it's for keeping me warm it's for um fitting into a box it's you know this is about this real sentimental meaningful piece what does your clothing mean um yeah and there's lots more there's lots more to this I could add a million tips on yeah. to <laughs> but no that's brilliant and that's some great places to start and I want to bring in some other things now that you talked about you mentioned at the beginning the devastation of the fashion industry that you saw working in the industry and you mentioned mm -hmm um sort of around slow and sustainable fashion so and I know that's a really core part of what you do and who you mm, are yeah so I'd love you to sort of speak about what slow and sustainable fashion is how it differs from fast mainstream fashion yeah and then also the second part of the question is well I guess three parts how can we get more out of the clothes that we have yeah um and and how can we buy better as well so yeah, yeah I'd love to hear your wisdom yeah. on that <laughs> well fast fashion I worked in for many years and you know it's really about buying in bulk and selling it cheap so fast fashion if you buy um something that is um actually it can be, it can be luxury as well so this is it it's not just the price tag it's actually about buying um on mass and then um, selling to, to many. And so it is this kind of capitalist dream um, that, that has really grown like 400% in 40 years. Wow. Which is huge. Wow. Um, the amount of clothing that we have in our collection has grown to the same amount as well. If we think back to our grannies and our nat and our mum, you know, there was just not as many clothing on the rail as the ones that we own now. So fast fashion has a lot to answer for, you know, the devastation of clothing ending up in landfill, um, which is damaging the car carbon emissions. And it's really, you know, the, the other devastation is that there's humans involved in many of the, the value chain of the supply chain that are hidden in gray areas where it's not controlled and it's not ethical. They're not receiving, many of them across the world are not receiving fair pay or a fair living wage. Um, and so many of those people can't go to the doctors. They can't afford like just a basic lifestyle of health. And well-being so there's 80 percent women in the fashion industry as well um across the board and the implication is that we have to wake up to the fact that this this is growing you know you look at people like sheen 
Um, and I don't know if you've heard of them, but they they are base, basically one of the biggest now fast fashion producers. They're okay. a China brand. So I think they're even above H&M and above Zara, which are the main conglomerates of fast fashion. But it's very sneakily done. Even when I'm searching for clients, Sheen will come in and I put in sustainable and it's like they're straight there. Wow. And they're, you know, they're sort of dresses for six pounds and that kind of price point. And so they're really, they've taken the edge of the technological um, part of the market and they are huge. And so people almost don't see it as, because they're not going into the shop. You know, it's not like going into Primark. It's just done in such a quick way now where we're not even having the experience of the shop. It's just, we're buying online and it's very quick and it's, it's maybe not something that we could, we even have time to consider. Mm-hmm. So that's fast fashion. And um, we can see, you know, fast fashion companies even, so within luxury fashion, some of them may be using similar factories as these fast fashion producers. And so the ethics within luxury may not be as, um, ethical as we may believe if you know what I mean so they may be using some like-for-like factories where you know from say I don't know Primark maybe they may be producing for some somebody similar um, to Stella McCartney or of that level so there might be slightly different sections of the same factory but they'll be producing for both Stella McCartney no because they're a sustainable luxury sorry Uh, that was a bad example Um, but another luxury um, fashion brand may be using the same factory. So it's very gray. There's so many great areas to, to this world of fast fashion. What we want to think about is moving towards something that is much more slow and it's slow, sl- more slowly produced, maybe a local brand. So really one of the most ethical things to do is actually looking within your local area and seeing if there's any either dressmakers or small brands that are very close to you. It sounds very, you know, like going back to old times because we live in a technological age. But when we think about slowing down, we want to think about reducing distribution costs, reducing, um, you know, the flight, the flight it takes to get here, all of the import charges and all of that. We want to think about something that's very local and, and um, yeah, home, more homemade, if you like. Um, The other thing about slow fashion is it takes longer to produce. So some slow fashion brands actually do made to order. So they receive your order and they may say to you, right, this is going to take us eight weeks to produce. So we have to really, um, as a consumer, really change our whole, I would say, nervous system response when it comes to how we receive that product and when we're going to get it. We're very conditioned now to get it the next day Mm. uh, or two days. And so we're in that conditioning of fast and quick is good. We want to really slow down. And and I actually set up a platform four years ago called Art of Slow. And for me, the, the slow fashion approach was in my body. How can I slow down to appreciate it takes time to make a garment. It takes all of those hands that go into making that one, one particular product that I'm buying. And considering all of the elements that are going into that, that garment. So rather than thinking of something quick, fast, I need it to fulfill something. It's a quick hit in my wardrobe and I might wear it, I might not. This is really like re... Um, recharging our nervous system to really um, respond in a different way to clothing and really consider all of the elements that it takes for that one product to be made. Mm-hmm. And the other approach to slow fashion is brands that actually have a really secure template of um, sustainability, which might be about fabrics. It's also a bit complex <laughs> because the fashion industry is complex. The, the supply chain is so complex that it's difficult for every brand to almost tick every box. 
but you want to think about what is your value system? What do I really care about? And look for brands that are ally, um, have an ally, you're you know, looking for brands that are sort of an ally within those values for you. So if it is supporting workers, you really want to look at fair trade and actually look at um, the ethics and the, uh, the transparency that they have the factories listed on their website. And actually they're showing some of those workers, maybe they're showing it in videos, and um, that they're actually paying their workers a fair living wage. Um, there are many amazing advoca um, advocacy com um, platforms that you can follow, such as Fashion Revolution. If you read their white paper, it really lays out exactly the, what is fast fashion and how you can make a difference by writing to brands that you have in your wardrobe, writing to H&M, demanding for more, demanding for change. So if you have like an activist kind of pull to this, look at Fashion Revolution and read their white paper. And also the clean clothing campaign, mm -hmm. signing up to that. And actually they have a lot of campaigning um, that are supporting workers that are in places like Bangladesh, India, that have not been paid for work that they've actually completed during COVID. Many brands have just walked away um, and it's so sad. So the clean clothing campaign is, is a great one to actually um, sign up for as well if you wanted to donate to anything. Um, in terms of what we can do with the clothing collection that we have in our wardrobe, um, you know, we can look at innovate, innovating what we already own. So a really lovely way of becoming more circular is swapping clothing with people that are, you're really aligned with their style. I have to add that bit because sometimes we get hand-me-downs that we never wear. <laughs> so that's not what we want either. Um, but swapping is a really exciting thing. If you're coming together for a gathering, you know, maybe including a little swap shop thing on there, just a great way of not having to buy new. Um, also, you know, collections that we have, um, pieces that we have that maybe don't fit taking them to a tailor's, looking at ways in which we can maybe add fabric, um, reduce, you know, reduce fabric, add darts, shape it so that it actually fits your body shape now, because there will be pieces in there that you don't wear because of your body, because maybe it's changed, you know, we change all the time, we're a shape-shifting body. Um, so we want to think about what else can we do, and so it might be worth pieces that you love, take to your local dressmaker and say, is there anything we can do? You know, how can I change this? Also adding things, dyeing garments, adding embroidery, making them feel more like you is an, another great way of investing in the product that you already have. Um, because the most sustainable pieces of clothing that we have are the ones that are already there. You know, mm. we don't have to keep making new constantly, but we can add and refresh what we already own. So hope that makes sense there's just a few points there yeah no that's super helpful and it, it's those little tips that you know we can make the most of what we've got and mm. and um and sometimes a piece can just be wearing a different color with it or you know can make it look different we wear it in a different way but it sometimes takes an eye like yours to see those possibilities and those opportunities yeah um, and and just the suggestions uh, uh, because it is a permission to get creative and explore as well isn't it um i've actually just thought of something that my friend um jocelyn whipple who she has a company called mend assembly in devon uh, hopefully we're going to be doing a um a vip day in the summer for that um together but she owns mend assembly which is all it's like an actual um shop that's focusing on mending your clothes so you can take your clothing in you can there'll be like an archive of patterns that you could choose from and get something made within within their little micro factory there um but she actually defines fast fashion as fabricated demand and i love that term because you know, fabricated demand means people, we actually don't need new clothes, but there's a, the capitalism and the amount of bombarding through marketing is saying that we do, but it's not actually realistic. So 
Um, that's what fast fashion is. It's pushing at you new all the time to make you think that you need something else. And actually it is really about looking what, what you already have. Um, sometimes people work with me and go, I need to get rid of 100% the whole thing. Right. <laughs> so, so that it might not be in your collection at all, but it, you know, but there might be twi little bits there that you can still work with. But yeah, some, some women are like, nope. <laughs> clean slate <laughs> clean slate <laughs> absolutely and but also though you know when when it is a clean slate there's how you can pass it on so that exactly you can yeah. keep that circular flow so what do you what do you see as the future of fashion you know there seems to be a growth in sustainable fashion which is and slow fashion which is so needed do you have a vision for that yeah i mean my vision because i I've taken it from the macro um, and into the micro. You know, I work with one woman at a time. <laughs> Generally, I do one-to-one -one work. And so for me, it's that individual to learn and be educated on what fashion means, how clothing is made, um, and also to shop in a really conscious way for themselves and, and not really um, serving the beauty myth. So my vision for the, the future of fashion is really that each woman has the tools to, to know what is in harmony with her as an individual. And so her bot, you know, understanding her own body shape, understanding her colours and how they can really radiate who she is through the clothing. And the second skin being something that's of support and of alchemy to her it's actually her medicine rather than it being something that she has to put on, she has to perform a certain way in, in what she's wearing. For her, for you know, these individuals in a, in a new template of fashion, I feel like women will be educated and have that knowledge of um, what really suits them, what really resonates and shop in a really conscious way because of that. I also think, you know, to go back to like ancestral history, we did have, we, we, it's in our blood, it's in our bones that we know how to dress, that we know how to celebrate through adornment. We know how to, um, you know, have that pride in the fabrics, in the embroidery. When we know, when we see quality, we know it and we feel it with our hands. So the technological age is taking some of that out of our hands. And I feel like the, old, the new template really has to be coming home to going to local marketplaces to feel fabric again, to smell it, to try things on, um, you know, to, to get a grip with how clothing is, is made by hands uh, and not just by people in a, in a faraway place. And <laughs> It's bringing it closer to you, basically. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love that. Beautiful. I'm moving. My work is moving into bespoke, um, bespoke made to measure. Mm. So I feel the end of some of my journeys are. It's very difficult sometimes. I'm, I'm still curating for people, like I did for you, product. But actually, the next um, level of this work is to bespoke to make for that individual woman make clothing for them. Oh, how exciting yeah. I love that because I because I because when we looked at my stuff the style that I love is very hard to get in ethical brands yes um and and I found it hard to get in mainstream fast fashion brands anyway and over the years I've had odd pieces made mm. and I and I've it's, it's it's been they've been really beautiful but there's something about the confidence in doing that for me as yeah. well and to have somebody like you help and facilitate that process wow mm -hmm. that's really exciting yeah that's so exciting because it feels yeah. like a cherry on top it's like let's get that piece really brought through for that woman yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing I'm, I'm, taking my, I'm taking my shatavari <laughs> <laughs> what was that for <laughs> my perimenopause <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's really good Chateauvary. I've really right? seen the benefits of, of that oh, that's, yeah. that's mm. really amazing to hear yeah and um and yeah and menopause because I think that's a uh, the whole bringing just in bringing that in a little and I know you know I remember 
a, a while ago a friend saying, you know, what is it? Bamboo and silk are your friend and cotton are your friend at menopause. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. With all the hot flushes and yeah. <laughs> breathable fabrics and comfort and something that you can get the breeze running through that fluid fluidity in the shape. Yeah. It's really key. Yeah. yeah. The menopause journey is, you know, it's, I'm, I'm only experiencing the beginning stages. I'm in perimenopause and, you know, lots of new symptoms happening um, on a monthly basis, shall we say. <laughs> Very interesting ride. Um, but noticing the doorway being sort of half open to fully, I don't know, I feel like it's this phase of everything coming together almost and the power of that. But also then I, some days I feel like I've, I've walked, I'm 10 million steps back from this doorway. I feel like the menopause, the full menopause feels like I'm going to be stepping through this sort of big doorway. And some of the clients that I've worked with actually um, that are post-menopausal are actually landing their full soul work and really like stepping through that door. And it's I feel the empowerment that I feel from that is just incredible. So they're way, way showers for me as well. Yeah. I really see that with women that the that it's just so many women it's like because I someone said if you look at the decades like late 40s 50s like it's like autumn time mm. in our lives, and that's like the harvest time and I just see so many women the fruits just blossoming and it really I'm so blessed to have so many women that are ahead of the process to inspire me and I was chatting mm. with Kate Codrington last week about menopause she wrote a book called Second Spring, which is an amazing book about menopause. And she was saying like, surround yourself with these role models and yeah. or fill your Instagram feeds with them. Yeah. With women just in their full power phase, a whole new yeah. level. That's what we need. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm conscious of time and I'd yeah. love to ask you as it's a sexy life podcast, what does living a sexy life mean to you? Oh, what does living a sexy life mean to me? I feel, for me, it's dressing in the juicy radiance that I am and allowing that sec my sexuality to ooze through to my, my second layers, my skin, my second skin. And, you know, that feels different in everything I, I wear and, e and each day. But it's the, for me, it's like the the way I move in it, it's the way I land myself in my garments. It's not about necessarily always the, the cut of the garment or the, the, the way that it's um, oozing my radiance through. It's more about this, like the way I can move in it, the way I can fully land my sexual nature into, into, my, um, into my style. And the style is, is about clothing. It's really about um, the way it feels, the way it fits, the way it expresses the deeper sense of who I am. And it's also my soul work, my purpose, the way that my essence can radiate then and ripple through that, that extension of my style code ripples then into my relationships, my mothering, my you know business all of all the avenues and it, it for me it starts with the realm of inner to outer dressing from that place of of um soul style <laughs> mm, gorgeous thank you and so where can people find you online i'll share everything in the show notes but where's the best social media to to find you yeah, the best place is on Instagram for me at the moment. And it's um, at the soul stylist um, underscore underscore on Instagram. And then my website is just getting a revamp. But you can have a look at the old <laughs> right now. Or by the time this podcast is out, I really hope it's finished. Um, so it's www.kerrywild with an E, K-E-W-R-Y-W-I-L-D-E.com beautiful and you have and they can find out all about your work and what you offer there and also you have a, a, a giveaway of your soul style brand directory so please share a little bit about that 
Yeah, so this brand directory was one of those things that took about six months to bring through. It was one of those labors of love. And I'm offering it to, to everybody listening to go and check it out. It's 89 pages of beauty in terms of sustainable brands that you know adhere to lots of different streams of ethics. So it might be that one brand have, does amazing sustainable fabrics. The next one might be really key on um, ethics and fair trade. But have a look through and it's all segmented into different sections. So it will give you some inspiration um, to start you off on your journey. And yeah, I'm offering that back to you. For amazing. Thank you. And that's available from a month from when the podcast goes live. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all your wisdom and radiance that you've shared. Thank you, Sarah. It's been an absolute honour and joy. Really lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sararosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.